And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. I had a illustration all ready for the sermon today and the the message we're in we're in Romans chapter 11 uh, about it really concerns the nation of Israel and how does salvation include the nation of Israel especially with the idea of the Gentiles now being uh, the term here Paul use will use is grafted in and then yesterday Hamas a terrorist organization who runs the Gaza Strip uh, infiltrated Israel uh, took hostage a number of civilians. As a matter of fact, on the BBC, there's a prominent video showing women being zip-tied and thrown into a truck and and carried across the Gaza uh, border uh, as hostages, probably, to be honest with you, to be used as a human shield to protect their arsenal as they are now at war. Um, Israel already been going through turmoil with government, and now this is transpired. Um... Innocent people are going to lose their lives, and you know I was I was trying to think about how Gaza, you know, how big that this area is. Um, so I looked it up on Google because that's what you do for answers, right? Uh, and Gaza, the Gaza Strip, is only about 150 square miles, and there are two million people that live in Gaza. Um, to give you kind of an idea, Wakulla County is 750 square miles. And we have 35,000, and many people think that we're starting to get overcrowded. Um, and the truth is, is that uh, it's pretty much just one big old city, the Gaza Strip, with lots of high-rises. And unfortunately, Hamas has used hospitals, schools, and all this stuff as human shields to protect the arsenal. And now they're at war with Israel, and there is going to be innocent lives lost. And so we pray that the Lord would use this for His glory, would use this to show people the, the, the ills of Islam, you know, how faulty Islam is, that it is a false religion, as well as the false hope in the self-righteousness that you find in modern-day Judaism, and show that indeed it is only through Christ that one can come to salvation. And so as we have now entered into Romans chapter 11, and we see that the salvation message is for all, that we are to share the gospel, that the salvation message is for all of the world. You can ask a question pretty easily. Has God then forgotten His covenant promise with Israel? Right? Is Israel no longer, or the Israelites no longer, a concern to God? Have they been forgotten? Right? I remember whenever I was two, and this was so traumatic that I was two and I remember this. Um, but my dad had promised me that he was going to take me golfing with him. And this was when I was in Alaska. I didn't move down here until I was like three and a half. So this, like I said, this is a, this is one of those core memories that's banked in there because it was my first, um, first memory of just hopelessness and feeling like I had been forgotten. That's because when I woke up the next morning to go golfing with my dad, I woke up and my dad was not in the, in the house. He was gone. 
And I remember just crying my eyes out that my dad had forgotten me. Now, he made up some story that he woke me up and I said I wanted to continue to sleep and that, uh, you know, and that he left me there and went golfing with his buddies or something like that. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but I do remember feeling hopeless that my dad had forgotten his son and did not get to go share with him on golf, uh, at the time golfing. And to be honest with you, that, that fear of hopelessness leads us to many things, right? Especially when it comes to socialization, right? Many times we will say that we like stuff when we don't in order to be appeased by or to appease the public and to gain friends, right? Uh, I can tell you that I don't struggle with this because I'm a Gator fan in the midst of Florida State fans. Uh, <laughs> but no, absolutely, there are, there are instances in which we, we do struggle with this, right? Because we want to be accepted, and especially when it talks about, or we're coming to the idea and understanding of salvation, right? Israel now sees how the Gentiles have been brought into the fold, how they have received salvation, and how many of the Jews have rejected the gospel. And so the next question that pops up then is, has God forgotten his promise? Right? Because the Old Testament, God says that these are my people. I will dwell among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. Right? So did God forget about Israel? And I'll be honest with you. Uh, when, when researching this, this sermon, and especially uh, verses 25 through 36, there are a lot of differences of opinion on what this means. Now, I think we can uh, use this, we can, we can go through this passage, and there are clear points that we must uh, agree with in order to be biblically sound, but there are instances in which we can kind of deviate and perhaps think differently, and when we get to that point, I'll, I'll, I'll mention those there. But it's important to understand that, one, God doesn't forget anybody, and God doesn't forget His promise. And so we know that this passage shows that God has not forgotten about Israel and that he is faithful to his covenant promises. And this is big, right? Because if God is not faithful to his covenant promise to Israel, why would he ever be faithful to his covenant promise to us? Because just as God was in covenant with Israel, so too are we in a new covenant with God that we obtain salvation not of anything that we do, but because of everything of what the Lord does for us, because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we now are allowed to be grafted into the stem of salvation. And if God has forgotten His Old Testament covenant promise to Israel, God could easily forget His, Old Testament, or His New Testament covenant promise to us. However, our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. And now the question is, well, what does that mean? What does it mean that God has not forgotten His Old Testament covenant promises to Israel? And I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in he or it's Hebrews. Romans chapter 11. Uh, there are 36 verses, so bear with me as we read through these, and then we will be parsing them out. Beginning in verse 1, it says, I ask then, has God rejected His people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, or Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. 
Do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Verse 3, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I am alone and left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I've kept for myself about 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would be no longer grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. But the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and bend their backs forever. So I ask, Did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, in speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches." If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so not to become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note, then, the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? We're going to stop right there and we'll continue uh, the passage when we get to the last point. But it's important to note here as we read through this passage that Paul's argument is that God has not forgotten Israel. God has not forgotten Israel. And so when we look at the first uh, 10 verses, we see that there is a remnant of Israel. Now, just to kind of tell you uh, the, the title pa- or the, the outline here, I'm getting from the ESV Bible, so these aren't mine, but hey, when the, when the wheel's right, why, why make it again, right? Um, but we see here that in the first 10 verses that there is a remnant of Israel. He continues uh, by saying, you know, hey, has he rejected his people? And Paul's proof of that is, hey, look at me. I am a Jew. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. We can trace my lineage and see that God has given me salvation. And if he has given me salvation, he can give others in Israel salvation. In other words, no one is beyond redemption. No one is beyond redemption. The Lord continues to pursue. 
And notice what he says right here. He says in verse 2, he says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And then he says, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? So in order to prove this point a little bit more, he goes into the story of Elijah. Now, I don't know if you recall this, but basically Elijah goes up to Mount Carmel or Caramel, uh, whichever one that you uh, pronounce it. Uh, but he goes up to Mount Carmel, because that's how I pronounce it. Uh, and uh, he goes up to Mount Carmel and he takes on the prophets of Baal. And basically, he begins to heckle the mess out of him. As a matter of fact, I think Elijah might be a good southerner because he really just lets into the prophets of Baal. Uh, so basically, what they did is he said, okay, we're going to set up altars, we're going to call down fire, and whosoever God call, uh, brings fire first, that's going to be the real God. And so the prophets of Baal are, are praying to Baal to, to bring down fire, and, and it never happens, right? And then the prophets of Baal begin to cut themselves in order to try to appease Baal to send down fire onto his altar. And Elijah goes crazy to the point, and this is literally in Scripture. You can go back and read it, but basically in the King, uh, King Tyler translation, it reads, hey, maybe Baal's on the can and can't hear you. Like, maybe you just got to give him a few minutes. Let him go, do what he needs to do, and then he'll come back, you know. Just give him some time. I mean, that's essentially what he says. He says, maybe he's relieving himself. And so basically, he's like, maybe Baal's just occupied right now, just can't come to you. I mean, really trashes uh, the prophets of Baal and Baal himself. And then finally, whenever it comes to Elijah's time, pours water onto the altar, calls down fire from the uh, from the Lord. I praise the Lord, call down fire. And it's exactly what happens. He, he gets a victory, but at the same time, as soon as Jezebel hears about this, he threat, she threatens uh, Elijah's life. And he actually goes into the wilderness, goes into hiding. And then he begins to talk about, he goes into this deep state of depression and, and begins to pray out to the Lord and said, Lord, kill me now because I'm the only one who's left. And the Lord sits there and says, uh, Elijah, once again, King Tyler translation, uh, be quiet. Just be quiet, right? Stop pitying yourself. Be quiet. And he sits there, and this is where uh, Paul uh, quotes. He says that the Lord, uh, this is in verse uh, 3, says, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. Verse 4, but what is God's reply to him? I have kept myself... Uh, kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed toward Baal. Right? In other words, not all of Israel has always been Israel. Right? We see right here that even when Elijah was alone, there were about 7,000 believers in the northern nation of Israel who truly were God followers, who truly followed the Torah, who followed the Old Testament covenant. Even when everybody around them looked like that they were bending the knee to the pagan gods, we see that God always had a remnant that were around within Israel. And this is big, because if, if, this, if this was not true, the Old Testament covenant would have died off long ago, because the one thing we know about human beings is that we are sinners, and we are unfaithful. And so we see here that the Lord, even whenever He tells His people, I'm going to continue to bless them, we see here that He still has followers who continue to follow Him, even when... They are faithless, even when they reject God. And really, Paul's using this to go back to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, in which he says that, hey, 
Our salvation is secured. My salvation, as he says right here, is secured. Not because I'm a Jew, but because salvation has now been given to all. Right? And he goes into, uh, uh, in verse 2, he talks about those that he foreknew, right? Going back to that idea of God knew exactly who would come to faith in him. This was not a shock to him. Right? We see here that a remnant of Israel will be saved. And then he goes on to explain that it is not by works, right? He says, if, if it is not by works, right? This is verse 6. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Now here's a question. What does that phrase mean And there's no longer by works? Because Paul's entire argument throughout this book is that salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone. That is not of ourselves, right? Lest we boast, right? That salvation is only given to us by the grace of God. And so what does he mean here by it is no longer on the basis of works? Right? And, and really we see that even going back into chapter 3, he continues to talk about how Abraham was not saved by his works, but by his faith in the promises of God. Well, basically right here what he means is this. It might appear that it might be by works, but it never was based off our works. Instead, it is based off of his works, his working of salvation among his people. And then verse 7, it says, What then? Israel failed to obtain what it is seeking, or what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of super, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And then quotes David as well. We see this throughout the entire Old Testament where the people, God's elect people of the Old Testament, the people that he said, and not elect is a salvation, but elect is these are the chosen people, the chosen nation of God, that they reject him and yet he continues to pursue them. He continues to go after them. He continues to bless them even when they don't deserve it. How many times have you received a Christmas gift when perhaps... You and uh, your family have been at odds with one another. Should we receive those blessings? Maybe, maybe not. But at the same time, those gifts continue to come pouring in. The Lord is faithful even when we are faithless. And it's really interesting to see here that God says that though, yes, salvation has now gone to the Gentiles, now the world understands that he has not forgotten his Old Testament covenant promise. And if God does not forget his Old Testament covenant promise, neither will he forget his covenant promise with us. Going into verse 11, we see here that the Gentiles then are grafted into the stem of salvation. It's very interesting. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I don't like gardening or pretty much anything outside of AC. Um, so, uh, so as a matter of fact, if you look at my, my yard, it looks like a jungle, and that's just because I don't care. My dad used to make me you know, uh, mow the lawn every Saturday, and he told me, he said, as soon as you get a lawn of your own, you'll love it and you'll understand it. No, that never happened. I, I hate every bit of it. It's terrible. Uh, and now many of you are in this room and you are really good at gardening, right? My wife is really good at gardening. She loves gardening when she has the time. 
And so me and her go round and round. I tell her that, you know, she should be the one to mow the lawn because I could care less. And she gets on to me for not mowing the lawn. But I tell her, like, I'd concrete the whole thing in. But one thing that I've always found interesting is this idea of grafting in a branch, right? Many of us have probably done this before, tried it out where we've taken, um, you know, uh, cut off a piece of bark, right? Get back to the, the stem of the plant and then taken a branch and, and put, attach it on there, maybe through like some cellophane or something and let it just seep in. And eventually what happens is you get, uh, this other genus of plant, right? That is growing off uh, uh, the, the original plant that, that doesn't have anything to do with it. The one time I've seen it was uh, an apple branch uh, grafted onto an orange tree and how the tree then began to produce both apples and oranges, which I always thought funny comp- considering how we compare apples to oranges. Um, but, um, yeah, sorry about the joke, guys. But, uh, but, yeah, but it's always astonished me. And what's cool is that Paul uses this idea to talk about how salvation has come to the Gentiles. And he uses this illustration of grafting in for a plant to illustrate that the Gentiles have now been attached to this stem of salvation. He sits there, he says, hey, listen, the Gentiles now, the, the old branches have been cut away, right? Just like you cut off a piece of bark, right, in order to graft in a new branch. He says, hey, just like that, so too have you now been grafted onto the stem of salvation. Now, he doesn't say that he takes away all the, the existing branches, right? Instead, what we see is that he takes away all the dead branches. He, he says this back in verse 19. He says, you will then say, branches were broken off so I might be grafted in, right? He then continues, says, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast to your faith so not to become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. We see then that God prunes this stem of salvation to take off those who do not believe in Him in order to bring in these, these good branches, these salvific branches of people to be attached to the stem of salvation and gain their nutrients, right, from this stem of salvation, not existing on their own, but instead attached to the very covenant of God. But notice there that there is a warning. To not become proud... And this is really where probably you can see where the question of what about Israel would, would arise, right? Because what happens whenever we sit there and we have something that other people don't? Well, in our sinfulness, in our selfishness, we become boastful, right? We become boastful. We just go around telling people of things that we have, right? You see a kid, uh, in fact, Thorne, uh, so yesterday we were at, in Orlando. So we drove down Friday, uh, stayed overnight, and just to have a day with the family. We walked around Disney Springs, didn't even go to a park, just walked around Disney Springs, went putt-putt golfing, had a blast. But while we were at Disney Springs, they have this huge Disney store. I don't know if you've seen it. It's basically like a huge, whereas like one of the largest stores in the world, Um and it is just wall to wall, nothing but overpriced merchandise. And, and Thorin, out of all the things, now we passed toys, we passed t-shirts, we passed teddy bears, we passed video games. Of all the things that we passed, Thorin found a whisk. That's right. I, I'm not kidding. I, I am not lying. He found a whisk. And he went, Daddy, 
I need this, I need this mixer. That's what he calls it. It's in always his mixer. It's because I can't mix things right now. And now with this, I can mix things. That's exactly what it is. I got to have this so I can mix it, right? And so this morning we we're getting dressed and, and getting ready to come to church. And he looks at me and goes, Daddy, I need to bring my mixer. And I went, Why do you need your mixer? And he went, well, what if something needs mixing? <laughs> and I was like, we've got mixers here at the church, but it's okay. Don't bring that. But daddy, I got to show people my mixer, right? And the, the, the truth is, is that whenever we gain something, right, that no one else has, right, we want to show it off, right? That's just us, and, and whether it be our boastfulness, right, we do so in pride, like, hey, I've got this and you don't, which is probably what he was trying to do with Andrew, right? I've got this this Mickey Mouse mixer right here. It has Mickey Mouse head on it. It's awesome. You don't have this, Andrew. Ha ha. You know, right? That's, that's probably what he was probably trying to do, right? But it's typically what we do. And Paul here gives this warning that in our boastfulness, we can become self-righteous just like the Jews, that we can become self-righteous, that we begin to think that we ourselves are God's chosen people and that no one else is. And that's not true at all because you see, especially if you're in this room today and you've eaten bacon in the past year, you're a Gentile. We've been grafted in to the stem of salvation But this stem of salvation here is where we get our nutrients from. The branches don't gain nutrients on their own. And just the same way, this stem of salvation is what gives nutrients, gives life to others. But the only way that people will know that they need to be attached to the stem is if we tell them. And who do we tell? We tell everyone. Even the people who it seems might be beyond salvation. This morning I had the opportunity to be in uh, the TEL Sunday school class, some of our older ladies, and we were discussing this very idea about Israel currently with Hamas and, and all of that. And you look at just the, the evil. I mean, because that's what, that's what war is, right? War is evil, war is sin, right? If you ever go to war... It's because there was a breakdown somewhere, right? And we look at women and children being hogtied, thrown into the backs of trucks and being carried off as hostages, right? A group of young people were gunned down in the desert. All they were doing was, was dancing and, you know, all that stuff. And we look at that and we say, how in the world could people do this to one another? And really, what we end up doing is saying, how in the way, we actually end up taking away the idea of humanity from some of these people and say, these are no longer people, these are animals, right? Animals don't do this, or people don't do this to people, animals do this to one another. And it's really easy for us to come into the idea that people are beyond salvation. And really what we see right up here is that, yes, this is in verse 8, some people... That might be true, right? We see that God hardens the hearts of people, you know, and, and throughout uh, Scripture in order for His uh, plan to come to fruition. But that's not our call. That is the Lord's call. And last time I checked, you are not God, and I am definitely not God. 
And so if we are commanded to go and share the gospel to all people, that means we go and share the gospel to all people, even those who seem that they are beyond hope. And that might be what the Gentiles are looking at here. Because if we're talking about the Jewish people at this time, we see a group of people who are going after Christians, killing Christians. Paul himself was one who killed Christians. And so perhaps the Gentiles are looking at this going, look at their actions. Aren't they beyond hope? And Paul sits there and says, hey, by no means, look at me. And so now the question comes to, and this is where we're going to read verses 25 through 36. What about the salvation of Israel? What about the salvation of Israel? Let's read verse 25. It says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hearting has come on uh, Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In this way, all of Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just, uh, for just as you were one or at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that, that by the mercy shown to you, they may now also receive mercy." For God has co-signed all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how unscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him, that he may be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So now we got to ask the question, because Paul brings it up right here. He brings it up in the, the first few verses, right? What about Israel? He says, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. This is in verse 25. But then he also says, this is later on, he says that all of Israel might be saved. This is in verse 26. And all this way, all of Israel might be saved. So what does this mean? Now, I've got to be honest with you. This is what I spent most of my week kind of researching and, and trying to see. And one of the things that I do whenever I'm researching is I try, I, I look up the passage, uh, I look at the passage itself, try to look, look in context and determine what the meaning is. And then I go and I you know, watch other preachers, watch other sermons. And then if they say something different than what I'm saying, I go back to make sure I'm not a heretic. Um, because, you know, hey, I'm a sinner, you know, and, and there's sometimes things that I miss. Uh, and so I was watching sermons because turns out there are three major beliefs about what this passage means according to uh, scholars. And to be honest with you, all three of these views are orthodox. In other words, you're not a heretic if you believe in one over the other. Uh, all of these uh, can be seen in this passage uh, and, and seen in the passage previous. And all three uh, are, 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 you know, are, are not going to lead you astray. Right, and so it's important that we present these three views so you can see them. Now, I'm 
I'm prone to one, and I'll explain that when we come to there. But I think it's important to understand that there are, we can't have a disagreement about this, and it's okay. Um, so John Piper, John MacArthur, uh, uh, Martin Luther, uh, all, all of them disagree on this. And that's fine. Because ultimately, God is going to do what he wants to do. And we'll find out later what exactly that looks like. But let's look at these three views. So the first view is basically that all the nation of Israel be saved, all the physical nation of Israel, right? And this is especially something that's prominent in our time because we actually have a physical nation in the Middle East right now called Israel. And so many people look at that and say, well, now that Israel's come back, we look at the book of Revelation and many people equate uh, the nation of Israel to the nation of Israel in the book of Revelation and say that all of Israel will become saved. Um, now this is a, you know this is this is something that is is very prominent nowadays. This would be uh, John MacArthur and John Piper would hold to this view um, of that all the physical nation would be saved. Uh, I'm, I would disagree with this, and the reason why I disagree is because one, while that would be miraculous and that would be awesome, and not outside of the realm of possibility for the Lord God to do, we never see all the people of one nation come to faith. There's always people who are going to reject. And so if you and especially the term here used all. All in Greek, guess what it means? It means all, everyone. But even in the book of Revelation, we don't see all of the nation of Israel come to faith. Right? And so I don't think that this is a uh, a good understanding of this passage, though it is probably the easiest readable language in here, right? Because Paul definitely says all of Israel will be saved, right? Uh, the next one is that a remnant of Israel will be saved. Um, and this comes from basically looking at Romans 11, Romans chapter uh, 9, verse 6, where Paul says that not all of Israel is Israel. And, and looking at the entire Old Testament, we see that Pretty much Israel is disobedient with the exception of a few that continue in good faith, that continue to follow the Lord and continue to follow His Old Testament commandments. And, and so I think this is actually probably more what's going on, especially in context of the opening passage uh, in, in chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, where he brings up Elijah and then discusses how a remnant of Israel will be saved, right? That there was a remnant at that time following Baal. I think this is probably the most appropriate reading. And then we do have the last view, um, that is that the church is now Israel, right? That now Jew and Gentile are part of Israel. And we get this from uh, Galatians, if I'm not mistaken, is where we see that that the church and Israel are used synonymously, and many people read that in there. I'll be honest with you, I don't see this at this passage because Paul does break down is the Israelites and the Gentiles and separates those two. And so if he was talking about all of the church, I think he would have just said, hey, all the church, you are grafted in, we're all the same uh, at this point. But he, he really does specifically look at Israel itself. Um, and so these are the three major views of this passage. Uh, once again, I think the remnant one is probably most accurate just in, in looking in context. But hey, you can disagree with me, and that's okay. This is America. You have the right to be wrong. It's just uh, it's how, how it goes. No, but, but seriously, this is, this is an instance in which we can have disagreements and be in full fellowship and be in full faith. Because the truth is, we're going to look at these passages differently, right? Martin Luther was one who ascribed to this idea of that the church is now Israel, 
right? And we, we see uh, that many of the people in the 1500s and previous take that view, right? We see many in the past 50 years take the view that all the physical nation of Israel will be saved, and that's because there is now a physical nation of Israel, and we equate that uh, passage to this, new, this nation of Israel. Um, but I, like I said, looking at the context of the passage, I would probably sit there and say that remnant is more likely. And, and, the, re- and the reason why also I, I hold to that is that Paul greatly talks about how those who are unfaithful will be pruned. That those who are unfaithful will be pruned, whether it be Jew or Gentile. The truth of the matter is this. We must be faithful. And so in looking at this passage, it's important for us to remember that God has not forgotten His Old Testament covenant promise, that He is faithful even when we are faithless. He continues to pursue us even when we think that we're beyond all hope. And this is vital. This is important because sometimes we're going to go through periods of time which are very difficult, which really make us question the very foundation of who we are as people. Right? Most of the time you see this when it comes to things like death in the family. Be honest with you. Sometimes you see that in times when churches lose their pastors. And we question this. But one thing we can be certain of is that even when we begin to question ourselves or question the Lord, the Lord is always faithful. And in that we can take assurance. In that we can place our trust. And in that we can place our hope. Let us pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. We praise you. We honor you. We thank you uh, for allowing us to be here. Father, we praise you for your word. And Father, we praise you for your faithfulness to us. That, Lord, you continue to pursue us even when it seems that all hope is lost. Father, we pray that you would just put on the hearts and minds of us those who need the gospel. Father, that they are in need of salvation. And that, Father, that you give us the desire to go to them and to share with them the good news that is that you have given life if we repent and submit. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.